0: Good morning. I'm Lewis. Hi. Uh, today we'll be doing our scripture reading out of Philippians 312 through 4 verse 1. That's page 981 in your pew Bibles. It starts with, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. You know. (laughs) Well,
1: good good morning. My name is Toby Schneider, if I haven't got the chance to meet you already, but it's really good to be here today. Thanks for Thanks for having me. You know, if you've been a Christian for any period of time, whether it's a few months or many decades, you've probably picked up on the fact that sometimes the Christian life is really hard. Sometimes it feels like you're just grasping at straws. And so that's kind of the question I want to answer today and ask is, are we, as Christians, just grasping at straws? And so if you haven't already, please turn with me to Philippians uh, chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to look at 12 through 4.1. Um But in order to, to really understand this, we kind of have to have a, a sense of the context that's going on. So if you start just in chapter 3 at the, the very beginning, you'll notice there that, that Paul gives a little bit of an autobiography of his life. And the reason he's doing this is really to show how foolish legalism is. And so what he does is he tells the Philippians, you know, if if anybody had anything to bring to the table, it was me. When it comes to religious practice, I've done the best. My heritage, it's right. The right attitude, I'm the most zealous. If anybody could bring anything to the table, it's me. And then Paul turns and he says... But all of that is trash. It's rubbish. And he says, throw it all away. Throw all of my religious fervor away. All of my quote-unquote good deeds away. So that I might know Christ. Paul sees the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And he understands that the righteousness of a Christian is not found in himself. Or in his good deeds. In his good works. It's found only in. In Jesus through faith alone. And so he says, throw all my past achievements away so that I might know Jesus, so that I might know the power of his resurrection, that I might share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. And then verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And then in verse 12 is where we're going to pick up on Paul's flow of thought. He says, not that I've already obtained this, Or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And so Paul says that he hasn't grasped or obtained the resurrection. And so we kind of have to ask, what is he talking about? What is the resurrection here? And so just to be clear, what Paul is not saying is that he's trying to obtain his own salvation. We know from Paul's teaching in Philippians and from just verses 1 through 11, he understands that salvation is through faith alone, full stop. No questions asked. And so what he's talking about when he says, I want to attain the resurrection of the dead, this word is really a sum word. It has, has a lot of meaning behind it. In essence, what Paul is saying is he wants to attain the age of heaven. The resurrection of the dead is when the dead will literally be raised. And it's when all things will be set right. It's when Jesus will heal us. He'll give us new bodies. He'll glorify us. He'll, he'll remove sin from us. And we'll know Jesus as he truly is. And this is the time that we're all hoping for. Right? And so Paul puts a caveat on this. He says, I want to attain this, but I don't have it yet. Yet. He says, by any means necessary, I want to attain this, but I'm not perfect yet. I haven't grasped it yet. I'm not glorified yet. But yet he still presses on in order to make it his. He understands that perfection is not possible. But he also understands that there are certain aspects of heaven, the resurrection age, that we can grasp right here, right now. For one, we can know Jesus. To know Christ is the ultimate treasure. And Paul says in the here and now, we can chase it. We can chase after him. We can get to know him. The best part about heaven is that Jesus will be there. Amen? Well, guess what? You can get to know him now. You can take advantage of the best part of heaven here and now. And so Paul presses on to make the resurrection heaven, the knowing of Christ, his own. And he says, he does this because Jesus has made me his own. Jesus has used his resurrection power to take a hold of Paul. He's been given this new life. And now Paul is trying to grasp that new life that he has been given. What Paul's talking about here isn't salvation again. It's more like sanctification. It's the growth process for the Christian. When we believe the gospel message that Jesus died to give us eternal life, what we receive is that eternal life. We believe it and we receive that new life. And so Paul's trying to experience that new, eternal, resurrected life now. To start to become more transformed Now, And this transformation is really rooted in his knowing of Jesus. It's rooted in his knowing of Jesus. And Paul wants to know Jesus in the same way that he'll know him in heaven. And Paul wants to look like what he'll look like in heaven. I hope that we would all agree that the new age, the new heaven, and the new earth, the age of the resurrection, will be a wonderful treasure that we cannot wait to experience. Paul doesn't see this future event as exclusively future. He sees it as something that he can take hold of now. And so the question for us today then is, are we okay with knowing Jesus only a little? Are we okay with knowing Jesus only a little? In verse 8 of chapter 3, Paul says that knowing Jesus is the ultimate value. And so is Jesus the ultimate value of your life? And if we're being honest, sometimes he is, but sometimes he's not. Sometimes we replace Jesus with something of lesser value. Paul doesn't seem to have that attitude, however. If you look at verse 13 and 14, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in God in Christ Jesus. So he reminds us again. He says, I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect. I've not fully grasped what heaven has to offer. And yet, what I do is I forget what lies behind and I continue to strive forward. I continue to grasp forward. The idea here is of a runner running a race. And this runner has, he's got a singular focus. He's got his eyes on the prize and he's not looking back. Paul's not looking back at his, his past failures. He's not looking back at his past successes. He's got his eyes on the goal. He's straining for it, running for it. He's singularly focused on it. There's a sense of desperation in this language. One of the most famous... Uh, phrases in the book of Philippians is to live as Christ, to die as gain. And that phrase really permeates this whole book. The only goal, the only motivation, the only thing worth running after is Jesus. Everything Paul does, he does to know Jesus. And Paul is running this race to win. He's got the goal in mind. He's got the finish line in mind. And he's wanting to win the prize, the knowledge of Christ. Paul wants out of this life what the next one will be defined by. Intimacy with Jesus, knowing Jesus. Like I said earlier, the best part of heaven is that Jesus is going to be there. And Paul is saying, I want to make the best part of heaven the best part of my life now. Paul intimately wants to know Jesus, to be with him, to have a deep, intimate relationship with him. To love him and be loved by him. Paul's attitude is not one of complacency. He's not satisfied with where he's at. He always wants more Jesus. He wants to know Jesus more and more. And Paul calls this the call. The call of a Christian life is this, to know Jesus. The call on our lives is not not a duty or a task. It's a person, Jesus. And to get to know him, Paul understands the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. He gets it. You know, he, he might understand this more than, than we do because at this time he's in prison writing this letter. And so all of his finances, all of his friends, all of his freedom, it's been removed from him. And yet Paul is still able to say, it's okay. Why? Because I know Jesus, and knowing Jesus is of surpassing value. Throw it all away so that I might know him all the more. He continues in verse 15. He says, Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. This is where the rubber really hits the road for us. It's easy for us to say, well, that's Paul. He's an apostle. He's got just kind of special rights. He's got special duties to know Jesus in a different way. But Paul says, no, actually, if you're a mature Christian, this is the attitude that you also should have. What defines Christian maturity is the desire to know Jesus more and more, this unquenchable thirst to know Jesus, a recognition that you're not there yet, a recognition that you're not perfect, that you still sin, you still struggle, and you still need Jesus, but a desire to know him more and more. That's the definition of maturity to have this attitude of Paul, to see the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. So much so that everything else in life just kind of fades into the background. And you have this singular focus like the runner running the race. This doesn't mean that you can't try to have or want a nice house or a nice car or or any of those things. But it does mean that those things are no longer your defining principle. What your defining principle is is to know Jesus. It's an attitude or worldview that's defined by the next. And Paul adds, if you don't have this attitude, if you don't have this worldview, don't worry. God's going to show you. He's going to reveal that to you. That's verse 15. And he says, no matter what, whether you have this attitude or not, we should continue forward at minimum with what we know. And so it leads us to a question, is how does an immature believer become a mature believer? Well, verse 17 answers it. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. About three years ago, me and Kayla were driving home from Iowa to Fremont for Christmas. And as we were driving, we came across a blizzard and got stuck in this blizzard. And we're talking complete an utter white out. You couldn't tell the horizon from the sky or the ground from the sky. It was just absolute white all around us. It was really rather terrifying. And then we came behind some taillights. Oh, we're saved, tail lights. We can just follow this guy. And then he turned off the road and we were left all alone. But come to realize as we kept going forward, he was following a snowplow. And so we really were saved, right? this is what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, follow those who are following after Jesus. Because that guy that we were following on the road wasn't anything special, but the snowplow, that was special. And so follow those who are following after Jesus. If you're an immature believer, look at the mature believers around you. Look at how they're chasing after, running after, desiring to know more and more Of Jesus or if you're mature there's kind of an implied mandate here as well keep being mature keep growing keep not being satisfied with where you're at expect more and want more from your Christian life don't ever stagnate I also want to point out how communal this is Paul says look at me and look at those who are immediately around you there's no such thing as maturity in isolation there's no such thing as maturity in isolation. You won't become a, Christian, a mature Christian just by listening to sermons at home by yourself. One author says that Christian discipleship is more easily caught than taught. And so you need to be here in church with other believers. Look around this room. Do you genuinely believe that you have a, a responsibility to those around you? If you fall into the mature category, have you just passed the baton to quietly retire? Or are you still chasing after, running after Christ? Your role in this is to show the immature and younger believers what it means to raise kids and chase after Jesus. What it means to work a job that you don't particularly like and run after Jesus. What it means to do all sorts of good things but yet understand that Jesus is of surpassing value. If you're satisfied with your pretty good Christian life, then you fall into the immature category. Whether you're 20 or 90, if you feel like you can just coast along to the end, then this is who Paul's talking about. And I hope you see it. I hope you see it, and I hope you see others in this room who are chasing after Jesus. What I'm trying to get across here is that we need each other as believers. This church is not just a bunch of individuals who happen to come here on Sunday morning, who just happen to show up at the same place to do some small talk and and say hi. That's not what this church is for. This church is in this together. Grace life needs to be pressing on together. Grace life needs to be straining forward together. Grace life needs to forget what lies behind and move forward to know Jesus more and more. To have this, this singular, collective focus. That for grace life to live is Christ. For grace life to exist as a church is Christ. You've got to ask yourselves, what's the culture of this church going to be? Should we just be a bunch of individuals here that gather once a week and say Hi. Or should we be a people group who together is chasing after Jesus and wanting to know him more and more? Are we chasing after this new life that we've been given? Or are we stagnant? Are we okay with being stagnant? Or are we running forward with desperation? Paul says to follow those who are who are mature and imitate those who are mature. But he also gives us a warning. He says, Not everybody does this. Look at verse 18 and 19. He says, For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and the glory and their shame, with minds set on earthly things. The people that Paul seems to have in mind here are the people who have deserted the Philippian church. And he's writing to them with, with tears. In his eyes. He seems to have known these people and they've now left the church. And they're doing the opposite of what Paul is saying. These could have been the same people that he called dogs earlier, the legalists, or they could be just very carnal people. Either way, they're not to be followed, they're not to be imitated. Because the defining characteristic of these people is that they're chasing after their own desires. He says their God is their belly. Their primary motivator in life is just their own desires. Whatever they crave most is what they ultimately value most. He says they glory in their shame. He says they're caught up in this this world and things of this world. And he says their end is destruction. But we're not like that. He says, look at verse 20, 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. While these enemies have their minds set on earthly things, we're, we're different. Paul says that that we need to be pressing on because we're citizens of heaven. This pressing on, this desire... Jesus more and more, it's rooted in our identity. Um, A few years back, me and Kayla were in Southeast Asia for a while, and when we first got there, everything was really awesome. The food was awesome, the culture was awesome, the weather was awesome, the people were awesome. The longer we stayed there though, the more we began to miss home, and our own beds, and our families, and things like cheeseburgers. And one day after being there for a while, we came across probably the most American restaurant you could, McDonald's. And I got a McDouble and fries and Diet Coke. It was one of the best meals that I've ever had. (laughs) But that's the idea that Paul's talking about here. He says, we're citizens of heaven. Don't get caught up with things of this world. They can be good and you can enjoy them, but don't get so caught up with them. Remember where you belong. Remember what your home is and live for home. Do things that represent your home. Long for home because that's who you are. In the end, our citizenship is what defines us. We're not first American citizens. First, we're citizens of heaven. And as citizens of heaven, we need to live that way. And this is what it means to live that way to long for heaven, to long for Jesus. Jesus' kingdom is our home. And not only that, but one day he will return. He will make us perfect. We will become like him. Sin will be no more. Suffering will be no more. We will know Jesus. What a great day that will be. Paul says, thus, therefore, stand firm because of our citizenship, because of our eternal future, because Jesus is going to return, stand firm. And when he says stand firm, he doesn't mean stand still. He means run forward, chase after Jesus, expect more, want more, desire more out of your Christian life. If we're lucky, we get 90 years on this earth And when we die, it's not like everything just goes black and nothing ever mattered. What we really need to start grasping at is that this life is short and eternity is very long. And so don't get caught up with the earthly. It's passing away. Get caught up with the eternal. Get caught up with knowing Jesus, who, Paul says, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow on heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." He is worth knowing. That's the application today, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. Jesus is worth knowing. And so we should want more. We should desire more out of this Christian life. I open this message by asking, are we grasping at straws? The answer is no. Absolutely not. Sometimes it might feel that way. Sometimes this running forward might just be blind faith. This pressing forward is just blind faith. But no, we are not grasping at straws. We're grasping at Jesus and knowing him. And so as we transition into this moment of reflection, I just want us to ask ourselves a couple questions. Is Jesus the surpassing value of my life? Do I see him as worth running forward with a desperation? Or have I replaced him with something of a lesser value? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that even you were in the form of God, you, you forsook that, you, you dropped that equality, you emptied yourself by becoming a form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And you died on the cross for us, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who run after you, who chase after you with with desperation. Lord, it's in your name that I pray. Amen.